Hey, how many of you are having a good day so far? All right, good, good, good. How many of you would say it's a great day? All right, good. Well, hopefully it's going to get even better tonight. I had one of those great days this summer. We were on vacation. Um, I was with some of my, my closest friends on the planet. We were golfing, and I was actually winning, which is pretty rare. It doesn't happen all that often. And how many of you know if you play golf, sometimes it's not even about how you're doing. It's just better that you're beating the people you're with. And so it was one of those days. It was a good day. And I get a phone call from my wife, and she sounded urgent, she sounded stressed. She sounded anxious. She just sounded like something was wrong. I said, what, what's going on? I could hear the tone in her voice. And she said, we, I found the one. And she said, we got to move quick. She's going to go fast. Now, my wife was not talking about a car, which I would have been great. I mean, that would have taken up from like a, a, a great day to an even greater day. She was not even talking about an Airbnb for a future vacation. My, dog, my, my wife was talking about a dog, a puppy, now, earlier in the year, my wife had asked uh, us to consider, like, having a, uh, getting a puppy. And, and, and so I did what every good dad does when it comes to new animals. I put up as many roadblocks as possible. And so as we were talking, my, my daughter said, uh, Dad, I would love a new puppy. And I said, okay, here's what you need to do. You need to get on a roll both semesters, and then you need to do all your chores. And I just kept putting, like, roadblock after roadblock, thinking, like, I would discourage her, and she just, like, never mind, Dad. And she didn't. She was, like, done, you know, like, negotiates a deal, spit shake on it, and we're, we're like, off and running. And so she does everything that she said she was going to do. She fulfills every single one of the steps and goes above and beyond. And so the whole time, we're looking for a new puppy. And when I say we, I mean my wife. I'm not looking at all for a dog. And I'm actually praying that we don't find a dog. Because you know how it is. If you have a dog, uh, guys, we end up being the ones who wake up in the middle of the night to let this puppy out. We end up being the ones that have to clean up when they, when they just destroy something. And, and it's always our shoes and always our favorite shoes that get wrecked by the dog. And so I'm trying to do everything. I'm praying, God, like, help us not to find a puppy. And God did not answer our prayer. He did not answer my prayer. He answered my wife's prayer. She's more spiritual than me. And we find a dog. And, and so my, my wife finds this dog, and I'm about two hours away. And I said, listen, we can get the dog today under one condition. And I know my wife, she's like bracing, like, okay, I got to do all the chores. I got to do all the, the maintenance of the dog. And I said, here's the one condition. I said, I want to be there to see my daughter's face when she receives this dog. I don't want to be on the phone. I don't want to be on FaceTime. I want to be there in person when she receives this dog. My wife said, why? And I said, because I want to be part of that moment. No, I said, because when I'm taking this dog out in the middle of the night, I want to remember, I want to visualize that moment when she got her puppy. Isn't it true, though, that we, we love to, that I can, I can face another part of the country or in the world, but there's just nothing that replaces the face-to-face, -face, Right? I mean, there's, you know, you, you're away from your family, you're away from your friends, and when, when they call and you get a video call, it, it's exciting, but it's just not the same. It's not the same as being there, being in person, being able to encounter that. And what I love about God is God's the same way. God's the same way. This is what the Bible tells us in 1 John chapter 4. It says, this is how God showed his love among us. And this, listen to this, this is how he showed his love. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. And then listen to this. This is so good. This is love. This is like God's definition, the Bible's definition of love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice for our sins. 
So God didn't send a messenger. God sent his son. He said, everything up until this moment, it was good. The, the words, the messages, the prophets, it was all good. But, but I need to do something great. And God did something great. He sent his own son. God came down to us, and he met us, humanity, where he was at. I recently heard a story about a, a missionary. I was reading this book about missionaries, and I came across a story about a guy named George Harley. And, and yeah, his last name, like the motorcycle, way cooler than my last name and your last name. And, and so George Harley was a doctor, and him and his wife were, were living here in America, and God called them to Africa to be missionaries. And so they literally left their practice. They left everything. They sold their home. They, took, they just liquidated everything, and they moved to Africa to, to work with these specific people in Liberia, the, the Mono tribe. And so they went to this Mono tribe, and, and they went through all the training, everything. They didn't know how they were going to be received. When they got there, they were so received by the people. The people said, we're, we're so excited you're here. Welcome. They learned the language. They helped them build a, a home for them. They even helped them build a doctor's office. But that's where the relationship ended. No one actually came into the, the home. No one came into the clinic. And so they said, well, we just got to do something. And they said, you know, God, we're going to start services and maybe this will be the inroad and the open door to get people into the clinic and we can help people and eventually lead them to you. And so they started a Sunday morning service. They told everyone in the village about what they were doing. There were thousands of people in this village. Guess how many people came on the first Sunday? Zero. Guess how many people came the next Sunday and the next Sunday and the next Sunday? Every Sunday for five years, they faithfully showed up. Listen, I love you, but if you're not coming to church after five years, I'm not going to preach to a bunch of empty people, empty seats. And, and so for five years, they faithfully have these services. If there was one glimmer of hope, if there was one like silver lining in the whole thing, George's wife got pregnant. They had a little boy. They named him Robert. And, and they said it was the one thing that got them through the disappointments of, of no one coming to church, no one coming to the clinic. Robert was the silver lining in their life. When he was about five years old, his dad was watching him. He was standing in this clinic, and he's watching his son play in this field. And, and he's running, and, and, and he falls, and he wipes out. And if any of you have boys, you know what this is like, right? And so he's watching him. He falls, and he kind of just pauses for a moment. And then he sees his son get back up, and he keeps running like most little boys do. I thought, okay, he's fine. He starts going back to work, and then he looks up again. And, and as, right as he looks up, he sees his son fall again. So he's watching him. Something's wrong. He begins to make his way to the door, waiting just for his son, hoping, praying his son's going to get back up. And, and suddenly he starts to run because he realizes his son is not getting back up. And when he gets to his son, he, he turns him over, and, and there's this boy, and, and he sees all the signs of the tropical uh, fever that he had been working with on so many people in that area. And, and he's thinking, man, my gosh, my son got this. And like any strong dad, he reassured his son, you're going to be just fine. Dad's a doctor. I've dealt with this. I know exactly what to do. And he took him back to this clinic, and he began to help his son. Or so he thought. Everything that he did, everything he had to do, nothing seemed to help his son. Finally, after a few days, his son passed away. George and his wife were devastated, like any of us would be. They didn't know how to grieve, like most of us don't. They felt alone. They wanted to give up. They wanted to go home. 
They felt thousands of miles away from anyone that was family, and they were just so overwhelmed with grief. Finally, on the, on the third day, he said, I just have to do something. He went to a shop, and he constructed a coffin for his son. So I just need to take my mind. And so he built a coffin, and he put his lifeless son into the coffin. And he sealed it up, and then he put the coffin on his shoulder, and he began to walk out into a field. And as he was walking, one of the gentlemen from the tribe, one of the oldest men, he walked up to me and said, what are you doing? I said, I'm about to bury my son. He said, no, no father should ever have to bury his own son. He said, let me help you. And so they walked together and they began to, to dig this hole. And, and he was so overwhelmed with grief that as he put his son into the hole, he just got down on his knees and he just cried out to God. For a long silence, he, he covered the coffin with dirt. And he was just so overwhelmed to even kneel felt like too much. And he just laid down on the ground next to his son. And he just cried and cried and cried. And, and then when he looked up, he noticed something. The older gentleman that was standing next to him was, was down on his knees and he was looking at him. And he was like staring at him. He was just staring at his face like, whoa. And he, he was so perplexed. And then it was like a light bulb came on. And he stood up and he started sprinting back to the village. At the top of his lungs, he starts crying out, the doctor that night, chief of this village, was there with the entire village. Thousands of people are standing outside his door. And they said, we recognize that you cry just like us. The next Sunday, the entire village was in church. They say that over the years to come, over 10,000 people went through the doors of that clinic. They say they opened up so many other clinics. Over the next several years, over 10,000 people gave their life to Christ. The villagers just wanted to see. They just wanted to know that the tears of this man, it changed everything. The, the tears that he cried, it changed everything. And I believe this, that everything changes when we see the face of God. Everything changes when we see the face of God. He took on your face in the hope that one day, you would take on his face. Listen to what the Bible says. This is so good. In Luke chapter two, it says, in those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinus was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own home, town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for a baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in clothes and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. This pregnancy was scandalous. As you might know, this pregnancy happened. It was the virgin birth. It was a virgin birth in which the Holy Spirit gave her a baby, and it was scandalous. I mean, everyone's talking about it. She lost friends. She lost family. She lost relationships because no one back then had a teenage pregnancy. No one had a, a pregnancy out of wedlock. It changed everything. And there was so much that was uncertain uh, about what happened, and suddenly she finds herself in the middle of some other city, and in that day and age, people didn't travel more than 30 miles past their home. In some other place with no family, with no friends, with no doctors, with no midwives. And she's giving birth to the son of God 
in a barn, in a stable, what some historians believe was a cave. And one thing was for certain, though, in this moment, is that love came down. That in this moment, God came into the world and love came down, not as a flash of light, not as an unapproachable conqueror, not as a ruler with an army, but as a baby. And we were talking about this this week with, with our team, and, and I said, you guys, think about this. This is crazy. Like, can you imagine being the, the, the angels? Can you imagine being Gabriel, and you stand in the presence of God? You stand in the throne room of God, and you see everything that God can do, everything that God is capable of doing, the almighty God. I mean, we can't fathom, we can't even begin to know, imagine. And, and then the news comes that God's coming to earth, and you're like, this is going to be amazing. And then you find out that God's coming as a baby. Like, you wouldn't believe it. How, how in the world can God come to earth as a baby? And yet love comes down. Those hands that held him, held God for the first time, they were callous, they were dirty, they were unmanicured. There was no gender reveal parties. No one's cutting a cake to find out if Jesus was a boy or girl. There was no BPA-free bottles. There was no silicone pacifiers. There was no Instagram posts. There was no hype. There was no party. There was no hoopla. There was just nothing. In fact, if it wasn't for the shepherds and the wise men, no one else would have known about it. I realized something that babies go crazy. People go crazy for babies at Christmas. Have you noticed this? Like if you have a baby or you've had a child, people go crazy for babies at Christmas. We had traveled to, to see my wife's family, and, and we walk into the front door. We've been traveling all day. We had a layover in some awful airport like Salt Lake where there's just no good food. And, and we've been traveling all day. We get there. We walk through the front doors, and, and, and this family member that I barely know walks up to me and says, where's the baby? Not like, hey, it's good to see you after being away for a year. Where's the baby? I'm like, well, he's coming in just a second, you know. And, and, and the next thing I know, my precious little baby boy, who's like five months old, is there's this death-defying, blood-curdling scream coming from the other room. And I'm running in there like, what just happened? And I see my son. And my son is beet red. I mean, not red. He's like purple, Right? And I look at him, I'm like, what just happened? And, and he was in this great outfit. I mean, we went to Target. We picked out a great Christmas outfit for him. That outfit is on the floor. And he's wearing the most hideous reindeer costume I've ever seen in my life. I'm looking at my in-laws. I'm thinking, just because you think you're family, you think you can put my son in this ugly costume? And he's got these ears, and, and, he's, and on his feet are like these, they're like elf shoes. And they're having, a, they're laughing. They're laughing at his expense. He's only like five months old, and yet he knows that's bad fashion sense. Like he knows, like we are not going there. We are not doing this. And he is so angry. And they think because of their family, they can do it. Babies take center stage at Christmas, don't they? I mean, if you don't believe me, just look at how baby Yoda, good, I have them all. I've seen them all. I don't need any more. We love babies at Christmas time, and, and it makes sense. I mean, grandparents shift from, from like barely staying awake to suddenly a baby comes in the room and, and they're so excited. People shift from talking about politics to pacifiers and pampers and we love babies. We love babies at this time of year and, and, and rightfully so because it's all about the birth of a baby. 
Christmas is all about the birth of baby Jesus. It's crazy to think about. Heaven sends God as a baby. He's minuscule, yet he's mighty. He's fragile, yet he's a force. There's a final push, a first breath, and he comes to the world. He's born. The creator cradled in a Bethlehem barn. He's an infant, yet he's infinite. He's asleep, yet he's almighty. And there's all these things that Mary didn't know and Joseph didn't know, but one thing that they did know, they knew that his name would be Emmanuel, that God is with us. It's not just that God made us. It's not just that God thinks of us. It's not even just that God's above us. It's that God is with us and that God loves us, that love came down. What I love about Jesus and his love is that it's, it's not just a list of things. He hasn't come with us with a list of things to do, but he comes with a list of things that he's already done and things that he's doing. So if you're here today and you hear me talking, you're thinking, man, there's no way, preacher. There's no way I have all these things I need to do before I can come into this relationship with God. That couldn't be farther from the truth. God's already done everything. He just invites you into this relationship with him. For some of us, we think, man, I'm too far gone. My life is too messed up. I should have given my life to Jesus as a kid or as a teenager, but I've just lived. There's just no way. For any of you, I would say people that were just messed up. Like, I don't know where this reality comes from that, man, we just got to be like great to come to church and come to Jesus. And I talk to people all the time. I invite them to church. and like, man, I'm really messed up. I'm like, come here. We all are. Like, don't tell anyone. The secret can't get out. Like, I'm really messed up. All right? And so all in need of a Savior. You read the Bible. You look at Elijah. He struggled with depression, yet God still met him. Abraham was so far past his prime, yet God still led him. Moses was long retired, but God still called him. Jonah was on the run, and yet God still used him. Jacob cheated his family. I mean, you would not want Jacob to marry into your family, yet God still had a place for him. Peter betrayed Christ, Saul persecuted Christ, Thomas doubted Christ, yet God loved each of them. Here's a reality I want you to know tonight, that God entered into this world not to demand our allegiance, but to display his affection. I want us to watch a video of a moment that turned a family's lives upside down, but how they still encountered God's love, God's affection in the midst of all of it. We're Chris and Megan Hines, and on November 8th, 2018, our lives were changed forever. Back now to our developing news in Butte County, where a wildfire, a big wildfire, is burning out of control tonight. Now to those dangerous fires out west, the fast-moving flames tearing through people's backyards, fueled by strong winds, scaring families who packed up their cars to evacuate. The campfire, which has now claimed at least 48 lives. Up and down California this morning, the state is still smoldering. At the campfire north of Sacramento, complete destruction. Most of the community of Paradise gone. Everywhere you look, charred remains, reminders of what used to be here. More than 8,800 buildings destroyed. Everything is burnt to the ground. I'm Steve Patterson in Paradise, California, where nearly the entire town has been incinerated by towering flames. This, the deadliest fire in California history. 48 killed, more than 200 still missing. 52,000 people evacuated. The fire took everything. 
the campfire destroying all of it. In paradise, blocks gutted, 29 dead, hundreds missing, whole neighborhoods reduced to ruins. On the morning of November 8th, um, as we were, me and the kids were leaving to take uh, my daughters to school, we noticed a really huge cloud um, that was clearly a smoke cloud fire. I just remember standing there with a friend as we're watching this cloud get darker and bigger and just heavier. We locked eyes and we just knew, like, it's time to go. Then went home and grabbed what we could um, in just a matter of minutes before um, Chris called and he was down the mountain at work and he's like, he had tried to come up to help me pack and he said, you need to leave now. The fire's on the main road and they won't let me any further and if you're gonna get out, you gotta, you gotta leave now. I had to drive through flames, buildings were already on fire, cars were on fire. Chris and I were able to speak on the phone before they cut all the power and cell phone towers to our area. So we ended up total going just over six hours before um, we heard from each other again. Eventually we got trapped um, on the main road between power lines falling and just the fire itself because the fire at that point, the main fire was moving at a football field every three seconds. And so there were just areas of town that there was no warning. I mean, we didn't have an evacuation warning. We're surrounded by flames. Like we can see the fire all around us. So we can see the smoke and just the amount of smoke, you know everything is on fire. And you, you get to a moment where you just feel hopeless. It, it was at those moments where I had to put my trust fully in Christ and say, Lord, I believe that you are good every single day. I believe that you love my family more than I do. And Lord, I need you to guide them, to protect them, to bring peace in the middle of everything. In these moments, these trials, and it's just kind of like, like waves just kind of crash over you. And you know, I'd have moments of just kind of panic and not knowing what to do, just sitting there kind of helpless. There's nothing to do. And even though I was helpless, I knew I wasn't hopeless. And I sat there and I remember just like holding on to the steering wheel and just saying like, this isn't it God. Like you wouldn't have done all that you've done in our lives for this to be it, for this to be our moment to go. And I just knew that we were somehow, some way going to get out of, of this fire. We eventually were rescued out by um, a police officer who was going around trying to find kids to get off the mountain. So we were able to go into a sheriff's car with fire rescue off the mountain. There was a moment as we're leaving the mountain that we literally hit a wall of smoke where all of a sudden there's just no more smoke. And it was super bright and shining and and you come out of that smoke and you're almost blinded by daylight and not knowing like what just happened. And you're kind of stunned for a minute. And I just remember this like moment, relief just crashed over me and just knowing, okay, we're safe, we're getting out, this is it. 
and being able to hold on to that hope that whole time, knowing that there was a purpose beyond this. When that day happened, we had no idea what the fate of our car was, our home was. We just knew that everybody had to get off the mountain safely. It was of the church that we led. Our church was gone, and every single person in our church lost their home but two people. So within an entire weekend, we ended up losing our entire church family, our community, our home, all of our belongings. We had no idea what we were going to do from this point on. Along with everybody in our church, we, we watched our church family have to go everywhere just to do what was best for them and their families. We have people in our church that had to move to Washington, Virginia, all over California. It was, it was crazy to see what had happened. And after that, we began to pray, Lord, what are, you, what are your plans for us? Um, where are we going to go? What are we going to do? We ended up looking at five cities in Texas, two in North Carolina, and two in Tennessee. And uh, we believe the Lord led us to New Braunfels, Texas. And when we were able to come out, we were able to spend some time with Pastors Ezra and Kendra and the mission team. And we were able to find friendship and find a church that we loved. For us, establishing a church where we could be just embraced as family. And that's what we have found at Mission. You know, even being an hour away, we have found a family here, and that's why we continue to come. The point of church is to have that community. And, and after the fire, when we lost our community, we felt this big hole of, we need people around us. We need people that are gonna fight with us, that are going to be understanding, that are gonna be inclusive. And that's what Mission Church is about. The Mission Church is, is about the mission of reaching people and being a blessing to the community. That's the heartbeat of this church. Chris and Megan, you guys, we... Um so sorry for everything you've gone through. But we're so proud of you guys. So proud of just your faithfulness to God, your consistency. You drive an hour to church. I mean, you need a medal for that. I'm sitting there watching that video early Monday morning. I'm sitting in Starbucks. I'm bawling my eyes out. I was just like, man, you guys are heroes to us. Megan, I love what you said in that moment. We talked about the fact that, that you felt helpless, yet you weren't hopeless. I don't know where you're at tonight. I don't, I don't know what season you're in. Perhaps for some of you, you'd say, man, this Christmas is a little bit different than I thought it would be. For some of you, you'd say, it's not just this Christmas, it's this season, it's this year. Maybe as 2019 comes to a conclusion, you'd say, this decade has not been like I thought it would be. But tonight I want to tell you that Jesus loves you just as you are. 
And maybe it wasn't a fire. Maybe it was something else that has just turned your world upside down. But tonight in this place, in this, in this house, God wants to meet you. He wants to have an encounter with you. He loves you more than you could possibly know. You see, the story of Christmas is God's story of his relentless love for you. I know even in a room of this size, there's a lot of things that we could debate about God, about the Bible, about some of the things that he says, about some to earth, about some of even the declarations. But if God would leave heaven and come to earth, if he would be wrapped in rags and he would be born in a barn and placed in a manger where animals eat out of, I think it's undeniable that he loves us. That his unconditional love depth, there's no length, there's nothing that he wouldn't go for to meet you. If he'd be born in a barn, he, he, would, he would go to so many lengths to meet you. See, God became one of us so that in hope we could become one with him. Tonight as we continue our, conclude our, our evening, I just want to give you an opportunity to make one of the greatest decisions of your life to say yes to Jesus to begin, or, or maybe you've walked away and tonight you're saying, on this Christmas Eve 2019, I want to come back to God. I just want to give you an opportunity to say yes to Him, to respond to Him. As great as the gifts that you're going to open up later on tonight, and as great as the gifts that you're going to open up tomorrow, no gift is greater than His salvation. 